Hey, Grace. Hey, Quinn. How are you? What's up? I am great. Great. Um, I'm good. I actually had something that I, I don't, I don't know what I was going to say anymore, but I'm good. What? It was not anything negative. It was just something connected to the podcast. Yeah, oh, tell me. I wanted to thank everyone that's been liking our TikToks because yeah, they're getting a lot of likes for history TikTok. So that's a good thing. Thank yeah. you, everyone. Thank if you, you are one of those people we love that you. follows our TikTok, we have like almost 20 followers now. So just keep on, keep on liking please let me try some comments no one ever comments i need comments guys it's fine <laughs> it's fine um we're done quad three yeah that's good i actually didn't mind this quad it was okay i liked half of mine i have all it's really annoying i this is gonna be the only quad i think where i like both of the weeks hopefully fingers crossed knock on wood um but like why because I had history and science together and I despise science so every other week I was like I don't want to go to school yeah. like and then I had I mean PFIT and English I was like fine every weekend before personal fitness I didn't want to go to school but I actually liked it when I was there I just didn't want to have to do the work <laughs> it's a lot okay it's like four hours um yeah that's a lot and then last quad with math and french i math was just boring like it was just really long i hated my math oh my god because it was it's four hours of math like at least in english like there's things to like talk about even in science like that you can like have like discussions math it's like this is how you do it yeah and i'm like ha but i'm bored (laughs) no offense to my teacher you were really good I just got really bored. I'm pretty sure that you would agree that math is not <laughs> a good time for a quad master system. No. No. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> welcome to Not So Bloody Mary, our podcast about not women in history with bad reputations. Um, I literally almost started doing the Queen's podcast intro because I've been listening to them so much. <laughs> Sorry, Katie and Nathan don't want to plagiarize you. I did cite you though, so like, I don't know. Um, today, this is our third Mary Tudor mini cast. We've done four episodes on her. She just, I just don't have a lot to talk about about her. The thing is, like, she's not in a lot of like media, so we couldn't do a media one because yeah. like Anne Boleyn has like fifteen thousand different books and movies and TV shows that she is in. Whereas Mary, like, the only ones that I really know of, there's, like, a Spanish show that has her in it. I don't know Spanish. (laughs) Spoiler alert, I don't know Spanish. Um, There's, she's in, there's, like, this YouTube video, this YouTube movie that I found that was called Bloody Mary, Villain or Victim. Um, But I don't think anyone else has seen it, so... (laughs) Um, and then there's the tutors, but Grace hasn't finished the tutors yet, so yeah. we can talk about it, because her most important scenes are in the fourth season, pretty much, like, she's in it a lot, and we are not there yet, um, and then she's in Elizabeth, 
like the first Elizabeth movie, but she's like there for a second, and she's like, "When I look at you, I see nothing of our father. I mean, that whore, your mother. That's the only thing that I know that she does." <laughs> so I don't. I didn't think that it would be fair to do. Yeah, <laughs> an episode on those, just those. Um, so I didn't do one because we can't do a mini sode on Catherine of Aragon. And this girl is <laughs> that. It's too long of a life, and two, she was in the public eye from birth, so. Yeah, and you know, Mary's got some really bad representation and, like, you know, all that stuff, so, you know, gotta do her more. I mean, oh like, God. literally, I talked to you about um, that friend who said she scared <laughs> Bloody Mary. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I told her all the reasons why um, Mary's the best. Hi, she is, if you're watching. <laughs> she is the best. She's, um, well, not the best. I mean, she did kill people. But, like, yeah, but like we'll get there. I'm reading, yeah. okay, so I got this book, like, a long time ago. It's called, I don't even know what it's called, but it's about Elizabeth's, like, literally her birth until she became queen. So it's, like, the first 25 years of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, It's... It is, like, a nonfiction book, but the author writes it well enough that it's not, like, boring. But I was reading it, and then I got a bunch of, like, new books, so, like, I kind of forgot about it. And I found it again, and I've been reading it while waiting to get on Google Meets in class. <laughs> um, and I just, Mary has become queen, and she started her burnings, and there's, like, a whole little section about it. And the author is, like pretty sympathetic to Mary like it's kind of I I like it because like usually it's like Elizabeth or Mary Anne or Catherine Anne or Jane but this lady's like yeah so she was like the most uh calm of all of the tutors (laughs) low-key I think that anyone who's done actual research realizes that like people had their own lives and so you can't really compare them yeah just saying okay speaking of uh mary tudor we're gonna be talking about the other mary tudor queen of france grandma mary for those who are in the know gma mary gma mary i feel like she would hate that but i really don't care um and great aunt margaret margaret tudor um queen of scotland because I feel like there's probably not that many podcasts on them, and they don't really, I mean, Margaret has enough to do, like, a whole episode on her, but I wanted to do both of them, because, you know, they're sisters, and uh, Mary Tudor, Queen of England, was literally probably named after Mary Tudor, Queen of France, so she's an important figure. Low-key, low-key, low-key. Also, both of them have descendants that were on the English throne, if you can't, if you can't Jane Grey, but, like, she barely counts, but she was there. Um, but Margaret's Margaret's descendants are still on the throne. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure that Elizabeth II is descended from her. <laughs> Low key. Um, because she had James, and then he had Mary, who then had James, and James the Sixth of Scotland, James the First of England was the first one to sit on both of the thrones and I'm pretty sure that everyone else is just descended from him so yeah I don't think they had any other people that didn't have well maybe but I think they're all I think she's descended don't quote me search it up yourselves (laughs) um also like yeah I just I don't know 
Elizabeth II is also descended from Mary Boleyn. <laughs> I think that's like the best thing ever. Um, yeah, because on her mother's side, she's descended from Mary Boleyn. Love that. Yeah, like actually, like that's the best thing ever. Okay, so we're gonna talk about Mary Tudor first. So she was the fifth child of Henry the Seventh of England and Elizabeth of York. But like the thing is, they only had four kids that survived. Like early childhood and then only three that survived uh into adulthood (laughs) she was the youngest of the three that survived into adulthood because it was um arthur then margaret then mm, there might have been another child in between henry and (laughs) anyways the order of the ones that survived were it was arthur then margaret then henry then mary but then arthur uh choked so yeah he got the sweat r.i.p arthur they also had siblings. One of them was named, there's Catherine, Elizabeth, and Edmund, and they all passed away, unfortunately. Um, but she was born at Sheen Palace on eight, the 18th of March, 1496. I'm pretty sure that makes her a Pisces, but like <laughs> really, really cussed Pisces, <laughs> almost Aries. So yeah, that's fun for her. So I, I don't know. She's almost my birthday. I just... My parents could have had me a little bit earlier, although I was very early anyway, so maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not. Um, a Privy Seal bill dated from midsummer 1496 authorizes a payment of 50 shillings to her nurse Anne Skiron. That's just a name. At age six, she was given her own household because she's bougie. Um, so bougie. Complete with a staff of gentlewomen assigned to wait on her, a schoolmaster, and a physician. So she has, like, her own doctor. Fancy. Okay. Yeah. Um, she was given instruction in French, Latin, music, dancing, and embroidery. So, like, I don't think that's as good as of an education as Mary Tudor, the second Mary Tudor, got. But, like, it's still pretty good. She's yeah. a princess, so she's going to get an okay education. Um, her governess was Joan Vaux, who she called Mother Guildford. I don't know where the Guildford came from. <laughs> um it's just it's just there she came up with that on her own I guess I have absolutely no idea why she called her mother Guildford but that was her name um the two shared a close relationship and Mary was like really mad when Joan was sent back to England when Mary herself arrived in France um so (laughs) she in case you didn't realize this she has a bit of a temper what a bit a tutor with a temper never Never heard heard of that Like, actually, where did it come from, though? Both of their parents are said to have been, like, pretty chill. Except for Henry VII, I think, could, like, rage. I don't know. (laughs) But as children, um, Mary and her brother, the future King Henry VIII, shared a really close friendship. I think kind of the way that it worked for them. Because, you know, four kids, usually they're going to pair off. It kind of went, like, Arthur and Margaret, and then Mary and Henry. Mary was, like a few years younger than Henry like I'm pretty sure he thought that he had to protect her all the time because she was like little just from what I get from any books I read um he named his first surviving child the future Queen Mary the first in her honor so like pop off um but unfortunately the two of them lost their mother Elizabeth of York when Mary was just six um that's not very fun no and given the number of bills that were paid to Mary's own apothecary from 1504 to 1509, it appears that Mary's own health maybe wasn't the best in the world either. 
<sighs> just I think that the tutors needed to learn that when they procreated the kids were not very strong <laughs> like actually though like why are all of them so sick all the time um, she was known in her youth as one of the most beautiful princesses in Europe Erasmus said of her that nature never formed anything more beautiful here's the thing though Erasmus is like a grown man <laughs> it just makes me uncomfortable like he came to visit their schoolroom when they were little so maybe this is when he said that and like I just I don't know like obviously people are going to talk about her beauty because she's on the marriage market but it just makes me uncomfortable when like old men are like she's so pretty and she's like yeah. six this little six-year-old running around um <laughs> In 1506, during a visit from Philip I of Castile, who is the husband of Juana of Castile, who is the sister of Catherine of Aragon, just saying, um, Mary was called to entertain the guests, and she danced for them, and she played the lute and the clavichord. I'm pretty sure that I learned about the clavichord in grade two music class. Like, low-key, I think I did. Um, In September 1506, Philip died... (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately i don't like him so i'm really actually not that sad um on december 21st 1507 mary was betrothed to his son charles later holy roman emperor the betrothal was called off in 1513 and if you paid attention to our first mary tudor episode mary is later betrothed to the same charles so he was betrothed to two mary tudors wow he's got a type the aunt and the child <laughs> uh-huh yeah and mary is going to marry like mary tudor queen of we're gonna call her mary tudor jr when i actually have to talk about her um <laughs> jr was be- actually married to charles's son <laughs> they're so like interconnected it's so incesty it's so gross yeah um cardinal wolsey negotiated a peace treaty with france and so on um october 9th 1514 at the age of 18, Mary married the 52-year-old King Louis Twelfth of France at Abbeville. <laughs> I don't think she liked that. <laughs> In the Tudors, they have her marry that old Portuguese guy. <laughs> oh, God. And then she smothers him to death with a pillow. <laughs> She's also, like, not 18. Like, maybe they wanted us to think that she was but unfortunately for gabrielle whatever her last name is she did not look 18 yeah sorry babe. like it's not offensive i'm pretty sure that she's way older than that um but yeah and the tutors they like changed it i don't know why they had to do that i think it's because they had already introduced francis as the king even though he wasn't yet because they messed up the time mm. Because the field of the cloth of gold happened in 1520 and she got married in 1514. <laughs> and the field of the cloth of gold was like in the second episode. I just, I don't know. Mary was accompanied to France by four English maids of honor, one of whom was Anne Boleyn, um, under the supervision of her old governess, Mother Guildford, who acted as her principal lady in waiting. Wait, maybe she was just. Lady Guildford, and her last name was Vo, and that's why Mary called her mother Guildford. I think I figured it out, guys. Um, yes. um, mother Guildford was her principal lady-in-waiting, but obviously, as we saw, Mother Guildford was sent back to England, and Mary was pissed about it. Um, despite two previous marriages, Louis actually didn't have any living sons. Um, I don't know what that says about him. <laughs> Just 
putting that out there. Um, and he wanted to produce one, even though, like, obviously that baby would then be a king from, like, birth, because this guy's old. Um, but he died on January 1st, 1515, <laughs> less than three months after marrying Mary. Like, oh. please, she was sent over and he, she was like, I'm going to have to be this guy's wife. And then he just died. Um, some people said that it was because he was worn out from his efforts in the bedchamber. Um, yeah, read between the lines there. I'm not going <laughs> to say it. This is a PG podcast. Um, but it's actually more likely that it was from the effects of gout. So not as fun. Not as fun. Um, their union produced no children since they were married for three months. They didn't have a lot of time to get one in there. But once Mary, like, once Louis died, they had to, like, keep Mary, like, in isolation, basically, for, like, several months or weeks or something. She has to stay in, and the only man that can come into her chambers is the new king, Francis I, because they don't want another man coming in and her getting pregnant from him and then passing it off as Louis's child. Oh. So she had to, like, stay alone so that they could see that she wasn't pregnant. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Um, the new King Francis I did try to make attempts to arrange a second. But she was most almost certainly already in love with Charles Brandon, the first Duke of Suffolk. Um, she wasn't happy in her marriage of state to King Louis because she wanted to marry Charles, according to uh, what we think. Um, King Henry was aware of Mary's feelings because letters from her in 1515 indicated that she had only agreed to wed Louis if there was a condition that if she survived him, she should marry whom she liked. Mm. <laughs> um, but Henry VIII still wanted any future marriage to be to his advantage. Like, he's like, babe, you have to, like, you ha- you're one of my pawns. I need to use you to get an alliance. What are you doing? Um, The king's counsel, who didn't want to see Charles Brandon gain any further power at court, was also opposed to the match. Because the thing is, Charles Brandon isn't, like, born to, like, a noble family. His dad was, like, the flag bearer or something for (laughs) King Henry VII. And then his dad died. And so the king, like, like, kind of adopted Charles, kind of. Like, it's weird. But... Basically, all you need to know is that he doesn't have noble blood. So all the like old noble families like the Howards and yeah. um, all those guys are mad about it. <laughs> um, meanwhile, rumors were swirling in France that she was going to wed either Antoine, the Duke of Lorraine, or Charles III, the Duke of Savoy. Um, at one point, even King Francis I was one of Mary's suitors in the first week of her widowhood. Oh. He was married. I'm just going to say that. He had a wife, Queen Claude, but she was kind of, like, sick, so sickly. She wasn't sick. Um, Mary asserted that she had given him, like, her trust in order to avoid his uh, passes at her. A pair of French friars went so far as to warn Mary that she couldn't wed Charles Brandon because he had had traffickings with the devil. (laughs) What does that mean? Um, When... When King Henry VIII sent Charles to bring Mary back to England in late January 1515, not a smart move, Henry, he made the Duke promise that he would not propose to her. 
It's like, Charles, you're not going to marry my sister, right? Charles is like, definitely not. But his hands were crossed behind his back. Um, (laughs) Once in France, Mary persuaded Charles to abandon that pledge. And Charles later wrote to the king saying that he never saw a woman so weep. So I guess she just like cried a lot and was like, you have to marry me. I love you. And he was like, all right, let's go. Um, The couple wed in secret at the Hotel de Clugny in Paris on March 3rd, 1515. In the presence of just 10 people, among them King Francis I. (laughs) Why was Francis there? (laughs) Maybe he had to be there because she was technically his, um, well, not his stepmom because he's like the nephew or something. She's technically the Dowager Queen, so... Um, but technically, this was treason because Charles Brandon had married a royal princess without King Henry's consent. Oh. Um, Henry was really, really mad. <laughs> and the, pri- the Privy Council urged that Charles was imprisoned or executed, but Mary, as royalty and the king's favorite sister, was safe from execution. There's, like, a thing, like, a while ago where people just, like, have favorite everything. They'd be like, yeah, no, that's George. He's my favorite son. I like him best. Like, in front of their other kids. Oh. Um, and apparently Henry did it with sisters. Everybody knew that Mary was his favorite sister. <laughs> yeah, he, it's just a weird thing. But they all did it. It's interesting. Um, I mean, maybe if this had happened after 1536, Mary would not have been safe from execution. Because evidently, royal wives can be beheaded. But <laughs> she did not get beheaded. Because of the intervention of Thomas Woolsey and Henry's affection for both his sister and Charles, because Charles is like his best friend, he doesn't want to kill him, um, the couple were given only a heavy fine of 24,000 pounds, which is a lot um, back then, to be paid to the king in yearly installments of 1,000 pounds. So I guess they have to pay him for 24 years. Spoiler alert, she's going to be dead before 24 years are over. Um, Henry? No, Mary. Henry will not be dead. The whole of Mary's dowry from King Louis the Twelfth of two hundred thousand pounds, and the gold plate and jewels that King Louis had given or promised her. So basically, he took all of her money. Oh, they did have some, but um, basically, this twenty-four thousand pounds today is approximately equivalent to um, seven million two hundred thousand pounds. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot was later reduced by the king thanks henry they officially married later they did get married in front of henry on may 13th 1515 at greenwich in the presence of henry and his like all his gang in 1528 charles secured a papal bull from pope clement XII, legitimizing the marriage i don't know why they needed to do that like was it not our legitimate but whatever pop off charles if it makes you feel good makes you feel good um, Mary was actually Charles Brandon's third wife, and he already had two daughters, Anne and Mary, by his second marriage to Anne Brown, who had died in 1511. <laughs> they have the same names. Everyone is just, <laughs> um, Mary raised the girls with her own children because she's nice. Um, even after her second marriage, Mary was normally referred to at the English court as the Queen of France, and she wasn't known as the Duchess of Suffolk in her lifetime. Guess she just was like, but I'm the queen, so <laughs> just call me that. Um, despite being legally allowed to call herself the Duchess of Suffolk, she just didn't. Um, Mary spent most of her time at the Duke's country seat of Westthorpe Hall in Suffolk. I would just like to say that Charles Brandon named like all of his kids the exact same names, except for the ones that he had with Mary. 
Oh. I mean, the sons were all named Henry. But um, they did have two daughters named Eleanor and Frances, which are names that we have not heard before except for in our episode on Frances. So, like, good job. Look at that. I'm actually really proud of her for that. Like, (laughs) Eleanor's a really pretty name. So, good job. In the late 1520s, however, relations between King Henry VIII and his sister Mary were strained because she opposed Henry's attempt to attain, obtain an annulment of his marriage to Catherine of Aragon, who Mary had known for many years. Like, honestly, think about it, though. Mary was six when her mom died, which means that she was, like, five when Catherine came from Spain. So she has known her since the age of five as her older sister. Hmm. Obviously, she's going to want Catherine to stay. Yeah. Like, um, Mary also didn't like Anne Boleyn, who she had first encountered in France. A lot of people think that she didn't like her because Anne and Mary Boleyn were among the maids of honor in the entourage that, like, basically they had been her servants. So she didn't think that she should have to bow to Anne. So Anne shouldn't be the queen. I see. She was like, but she has literally no claim. (laughs) In March 1532, the Venetian ambassador Carlo Capello wrote of an incident where one of the chief gentlemen in the service of the Duke of Norfolk um, assaulted and killed in the sanctuary of Westminster Sir William Pennington, the chief gentleman and kinsman of the Duke of Suffolk. In consequence of this, the whole court was in an uproar. Do you remember that in the Tudors when that guy killed Charles Brandon's, it was like Thomas Boleyn's guy instead? Oh, yeah. In the the church? Oh, yeah. That was supposed to be, um, it was said to be caused by a private quarrel. But the Venetian ambassador was assured that it was because um, Mary, Duchess of Suffolk, Queen Dowager of France, had uh, said some not nice things about Anne. Oh. And so Norfolk's guy went and killed Suffolk's guy. Um, Yeah. I just, I don't know. But unfortunately, um, Mary suffered multiple bouts of illness and she needed some several treatments over her lifetime, but it didn't work. (laughs) She died age 37. That's pretty young. Um, at Westthorpe Hall in Suffolk on June 25th, 1533. Um, that means that she had to see Anne be crowned. Maybe that's why it was her <laughs> final cause. Um, but she never saw Elizabeth be born, so like she probably died thinking that Anne was going to have a son. <laughs> right. But yeah, she never got to meet her, uh, her niece. I wonder how she would have acted with Elizabeth. Would have been interesting. Because, you know, Henry's kid, but, like, Anne's kid. Yeah. Um, But she never had fully recovered from this wedding sickness that she got in 1528. The cause of death has been speculated to have been angina, tuberculosis, appendicitis, or cancer. So, one of those four things. (laughs) Um, As an English princess, daughter of a king, sister to the current king, and a dowager queen of France, Mary Tudor's funeral was conducted with a lot of ceremony. She deserves it. Um, A requiem mass was held at Westminster Abbey. Her body was embalmed and held in state at Westhorpe Hall for three weeks. I I don't know where Westhorpe is, but... On 20th July, 1533, a delegation from France joined the English delegation for the lavish funeral ceremony because, you know, like, she's the Dowager Queen of France. Um, Mary's daughter, Frances, was the chief mourner. She's the older sister. I'm pretty sure that the oldest brother is dead. (laughs) Um, She was accompanied by her husband and her siblings. As was tradition, neither Mary's husband or her brother, Henry, attended because, you know, 
I don't know. <laughs> the funeral procession included 100 torchbearers, clergy carrying the cross, six horses pulling the hearse, other nobility, and 100 of the Duke's yeomen. Um, a requiem mass and burial at Bury St. Edmund's Abbey followed the next day. At the funeral, her stepdaughters Anne and Mary pushed themselves to the head of the cortege cortege just before the coffin was lowered into the crypt of the abbey and their half siblings did not appreciate that (laughs) i think they were like you're not her kids leave but um okay five years later when the monastery was devolved because henry sucks so he literally dissolved the monastery that his sister was in (laughs) um mary's body was removed to nearby saint mary's church Mary saint edmund's in 1784, her remains were disinterred, her coffin was opened, and locks of her hair were taken by Horace Walpole, Dorothy Bentnick, Duchess of Portland, and several others. What the actual hell? Oh, God. Okay. What? <laughs> Why did they open her coffin and take her hair? That's like, weird. I'm really confused. Like, are they descended from her? Like, what gives them the right to do that? <laughs> I'm just, it kind of bothers me when people do stuff like that. Like, you didn't know her, evidently. It's like 200 years after her life, after she was born. So maybe yeah. you should leave her alone. Um, whatever. Upon her arrival in France, we're going to talk about her appearance and her self for a little tiny bit. Upon her arrival in France, Mary was described as being handsome and well-favored. Were not her eyes and eyebrows too light? She is slight rather than defective from corpulence. I don't know what that means. She's not plump um, and conducts herself with so much grace and has such good manners that for her age of 18 years, and she does not look any older, she is a paradise. That's a little sad that she doesn't look any older because at least if she looked a little older, if she was with like a 52-year-old man, she would look a little bit more like she was supposed to be there. Yeah. Um, contemporaries like really applauded her beauty, including her husband, Louis Twelfth, who described her as a nymph from heaven. <sighs> okay. I'm just, it's normal. It's normal. We just got to accept that. It's normal back mm-hmm. then. She regularly took part in masks at her brother's court, and she enjoyed hearing singing, instrumental music, and dancing. I think that's just, like, a Tudor thing. They're all, like, really into music. Yeah. Like, except for, like, Edward, since he literally wrote a letter and was like, tell Mary to stop doing those foreign dances. <laughs> so annoying. Um, Mary was described as very lively. One nobleman literally noted that she is never still. always moving she was also said to be cheerful that that was shown when upon meeting her future husband louie for the first time she literally like blew him a kiss and greeting she's like hey what's up (laughs) mary and charles had four children two daughters and two sons henry brandon who was born on march 11 1516 but died in 1522 r.i.p lady francis brandon who was born on july 16th 1517 and lived till november 20th 1559 who married Henry Gray, the third Marquess of Dorset, and was the mother of Lady Jane Gray. Lady Eleanor Brandon, who was born in 1519 and died on September 27, 1547, who married Henry Clifford, the second Earl of Cumberland, and then Henry Brandon, the first Earl of Lincoln, who lived from 1523 to March 1534. Rip. I'm, like, pretty sure. You know when the Tudors... um, on Anne's execution when Charles just like brings his kid. Yeah. 
I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be Henry Brandon, the second one, but he was dead by then for two years. So (laughs) I don't know what that was about, but I'm pretty sure that that was who that was supposed to be because he had just married Catherine. So they couldn't have a kid that old yet. Um, Their two sons, both named Henry, are commonly mistaken for being the same son because they named them both Henry and they both died when they were children. (laughs) But they're not. So don't get it mixed up. Um, Mary's widower, Charles, later married their sons, betrothed, who was also his ward, the 14-year-old Catherine Willoughby, by whom he had his two youngest sons. Choke. (sighs) I think it's way weirder if you marry your ward because, like, also, she was supposed to marry his son, so, like, it's a little more creepy that way. Yeah. But, yeah, whatever. Catherine Willoughby is amazing, and she probably wouldn't have had as many opportunities if she had never been married to Charles. So, thanks, Charles. Gross, man. Um, in The Tudors, Mary Tudor is called by her sister's name, Margaret, and played by Gabrielle Anwar. That's her last name. Um. She is depicted as marrying the King of Portugal rather than France. So basically they just like smushed the two sisters together in like a really weird way. Um, In The Spanish Princess, which is a television miniseries that like just ended. It was in 2019, 2020. Mary Tudor is a main character. Isla Merrick Lawless portrays a younger version of her in season one. And oh, I'm going to mess this up. It looks Irish, maybe. Cy Bennett um, portrays an older version in season two. And the sword and the rose. Apparently Mary has a Disney film made about her. Oh. Didn't know that. But it's called The Sword and the Rose. And it's a Walt Disney and Purse Pierce film from 1953. Mary Tudor falls for the non-noble Brandon and attempts to run away from England with him. But is forced by King Henry VIII to marry the King of France. She relies on her friend, the Duke of Buckingham, to help her with nearly disastrous consequences. We'll be watching that. I don't know yeah. when, but I will find a way to watch it. So that's the end of Mary Tudor, Grandma Mary, the goat. Grandma Mary. She is the goat. Okay, now we're going to talk about Margaret Tudor, bestie. Um, She's born on November 28th, 1489, which is the same birthday as my friend Sydney. So hi, Sydney. I know you're not listening, but I miss you. Sydney is my soccer goalie, and she's really good. Um, (laughs) She was the Queen Consort of Scotland from 1503 until 1513 by marriage to James IV of Scotland. And then after her husband died fighting the English, actually her husband died fighting Catherine of Aragon. So her sister-in-law killed her husband. Not, not directly. <laughs> no, Catherine stabbed him. No, <laughs> but it was under Catherine's army that he died. So then she became regent for her son, James V of Scotland from 1513 to 1515. I mean, pop off. Margaret Tudor had several pregnancies, but most of her children died young or were stillborn. Through her first and second marriages, respectively, Mary was the grandmother of both Mary, Queen of Scots, and Mary's second husband, Lord Darnley. Bestie, when your grandmother is the same grandmother as your husband, maybe you should not get married. Maybe. Just a thought. Just an idea. Just an idea. Like, that's gross. Um, this in turn made Margaret both paternal and maternal great-grandmother to their son, James. 
<laughs> I didn't even realize this. That's so bad. Um, who ascended the Scottish throne as James VI in 1567. After Margaret's niece, Elizabeth I, died childless in 1603, James became the first person to be monarch of both Scotland and England. So, the Tudors do have descendants on the throne, but not Henry, because he sucks. Yes. I mean, technically they're his descendants, but, like, not directly, so shovel off, Henry. Um, Margaret was baptized in St. Margaret's Westminster. I guess they just found the church called St. Margaret's? I don't know. On St. Andrew's Day. She was named after Margaret Beaufort, the Countess of Richmond and Derby, her paternal grandmother, who had, like, a really, really close relationship with Mary's Margaret's father, because she was only 13 years older than him. Right. Because she gave birth at 13, and it almost killed her. Fun! Um, on September 30th, 1497, James IV's commissioner, the Spaniard Pedro de Alia, concluded a lengthy truce with England. Here's the thing. England and Scotland fight constantly. Like, all the time. They're always fighting. I don't think they fight anymore. I hope not. They probably don't really like each other that much, though. (laughs) Um, And now, so they wanted to betroth her to James IV, but, like, they were fighting. But now they concluded this truce, and so the marriage was once again a serious possibility. James was in his late 20s and still married. Um, Margaret is born in 1489, and it is 1497. So she is not very old. (laughs) I can't with this. Actually, 1497. I can't. Okay. Moving on. He's, like, in his late 20s, and she's, like, freaking eight years old. And they're like, yeah, let's marry them off. Um, The Italian historian Polydor Virgil said that some of the English royal council objected to the match because they said that it would bring the Stuarts directly into the line of English succession. Well, guess what, honey? They were on the throne after you for a long long time <laughs> because Ugh. of elizabeth <laughs> right good job lizzie <laughs> way to end the bloodline yay on january 24th um 1502 scotland and england concluded the treaty of perpetual peace the first peace agreement between the two realms in over 170 years it will be broken in like 10 <laughs> Perpetual peace doesn't really work, I guess. Um, The marriage treaty was concluded the very same day, and it was viewed as a guarantee of the new peace. Margaret remained in England because she was um, little. She was 11. And she was now known as the Queen of Scots. Here's the thing. The Scottish people wanted Margaret to go over at 11 and, like, just at 12, like, get married and bang James. Um, gross. (laughs) Gross. But her dad was, like, also kind of for it. But Margaret Beaufort and Queen Elizabeth of York both, like, it was one of the few times that we have any evidence that they worked together on something. They both were like, no, you cannot send our kid over. She is not old enough. She will get hurt. You -hmm. can't do that. And so they they stood together and it worked. So good. (laughs) Literally the only time that they, like, ever did anything on the same side that we know of. They actually could have liked each other, but the narrative right now is that they hate each other. Because, <laughs> you know, gotta fight. My computer is, like, actually crying. It is not working. Um, 
She's now known as the Queen of Scots, but the marriage was completed by proxy a year later on January 25th, 1503 at Richmond Palace. The Earl of Bothwell was the proxy for the Scottish king, um, and he was accompanied by Robert Blackadder, the Archbishop of Glasgow, and Andrew Foreman, who was the postulate of Moray. Don't know what those mean, but that's who they are. The Herald, John Young, reported that um, right notable jousts followed the ceremony. Prizes were awarded the next morning, and the tournament continued another day. She's got a whole little tournament in her honor. Um, the new queen was provided with a large wardrobe of clothes and her crimson state bed curtains made of Italian sarsenet were embroidered with red Lancastrian roses. Clothes were also made of her companion, Lady Catherine Gordon, who is the widow of Perkin Warbeck. Go find an episode of someone else's podcast on him and her because they're <laughs> cool. Um, in May 1503, James IV confirmed her possession of lands and houses in Scotland, which included Methven Castle, Stirling Castle, Dune Castle, Linlithgow Palace, and Newark Castle in Ettrick Forest with the incomes from the corresponding earldom and lordship lands. So she's got her own little setup. She'll be okay if he dies or whatever. Will she, though? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Later in 1503, literally months after the death of her mother, Margaret came to Scotland. Her progress was a grand journey northward, so she left Richmond Palace on June 27th with Henry VII, and they traveled first to Collie Weston in Northamptonshire. At York, a plaque actually commemorates the exact spot where the Queen of Scots entered its gates. I want to go there. (laughs) After crossing the border at Berwick-upon-Tweed on August 1st, 1503, she was met by the Scottish court at Lamberton. And then at Dalkeith Palace, James came to kiss her goodnight. He came again to console her on August 4th because a stable fire killed some of her favorite horses. Aww. I know, and she's little. She's, like, younger than us. Um, <laughs> her riding gear, including a new sumter cloth or pallion of cloth of gold worth 127 pounds, was destroyed in the fire. <laughs> That's not good. Although the horses might have been worth more. I don't know. I don't know about horses. I <laughs> I had one when I was five, but it was sold. So. You had a horse? Yeah. Not really. Did I not know that? I didn't use it. It was my cousin's. Like, my, co- my aunt owns, well, she's not my aunt. She's, like, my third cousin or my second cousin or something. But Aunt Kelly owns, like, a stable. Oh. And I had a horse, but it wasn't actually my horse, I've been told. But I was told that it was my horse when I was, like, five. Um, and then they sold it to a fair. <laughs> and I was really mad because they didn't ask me first. But yeah, it, her name was like Shadow or something. Like it was like the most unimaginative name ever. I'm pretty sure I chose it. But yeah, I did ride the horse several times. It just was like my horse at the place. <laughs> at a meadow. Um, oh, what? I don't even know. I'm so tired. On August 8th, um, 1503. The marriage was celebrated in person in Holyrood Abbey. The rites were performed by the Archbishop of Glasgow and Thomas Savage, the Archbishop of York. Two days later, on St. Lawrence's Day, Margaret went to Mass at St. Giles, the town's kirk, as her first public appointment. Yay! Um, Margaret married James IV and had six children, of whom, unfortunately, only one actually survived infancy. All the rest of them died. So... There was James, Duke of Rothesay, who lived from February 21st, 1507 to February 27th, 1508. Then there was a daughter who died shortly after birth on July 15th, 1508. Then there was um, 
Arthur Stewart, the Duke of Rothesay, who lived from uh, October 20th, 1509 to July 14th, 1510. Then there was James IV, who died, who was born in on April 10th, 1512, and died December 14th, 1542. Then there was a daughter who was born prematurely and died shortly after birth, November 1512. And then Alexander Stewart, Duke of Ross, who lived from April 30th, 1514 to December 18th, 1515. So not a fun time, in case you didn't grasp that. No. They're all dying. It's really sad. Okay, but once again... Um, here's another tutor, unfortunately, who cannot have kids that are surviving. I'm just saying, maybe not just the women's fault. Yeah, think about that. <laughs> I mean, evidently, Catherine of Aragon had some sort of problem that she could not carry kids that lived. Mm-hmm. Saying that Henry definitely helped her. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just, uh, I, um, by her marriage contract, Margaret was allowed a household with 24 English servants. Um, these included her cook, Hunt, her chamberer, Margaret, John Camner, who played the lute for her. I guess he's just there for that sole purpose. Um, her ushers, Hamnet Clegg and Edmund Livesey, and her ladies-in-waiting, Eleanor Jones, Eleanor Verney, Agnes Musgrave, and Elizabeth Burleigh, who then married Lord Elphinstone. Some of her ladies-in-waiting had actually been members of the household of her mother, Elizabeth of York. Um... And then some of them returned. Some of her people in her household actually went back to England to serve Catherine of Aragon when she became queen. Uh, That kind of seems mean to me. But whatever. They're like, we're just going to go serve your sister-in-law. Have a fun time here. Um, Elizabeth Maxtoon, a Scottish woman, washed her linen. Rich fabrics were provided by an Italian merchant, Jerome Frescobaldi. After a few years, Margaret employed a Scottish cook named Alexander Curse. Yay. Okay. On Maundy Thursday, um, it was the custom for the monarch and consort to give gifts to the poor and symbolically wash their feet. On April 4th, 1504, Margaret gave 15 poor women blue gowns, shoes, a purse with 15 English pennies, and a wooden tankard with a jug and a plate, a token of the Last Supper. The number of poor women matched her age. So she was 15 when she did that. And she's married, I guess. (laughs) Grace, how would you feel about being married right now? Well, Quinn, <laughs> I do not want to be married right now. <laughs> no, me neither. Um, another custom was to give gifts on New Year's Day. So in 1507, James gave Margaret a serpent's tongue set in gold with precious stones, which was believed to guard against poison. I guess fun. I don't know. Kind of seems a little morbid. Um, she gave a French knight, Antoine Darcy, um, a gold salt cellar with an image of the Virgin Mary. I don't know what that's about either. In January 1513, the gifts included gold rings for eight ladies of her chamber, and the two black ladies, Ellen and Margaret Moore, were given ten gold French crowns. So they did have two African-American women. Well, they're not American. I can't actually talk. They're black women, Ellen and Margaret. And they worked in Scotland as servants. I don't know how they got there, but they were there. And they were, they were obviously paid. So they were not slaves. That is good. We like that. They were probably treated as lesser because white people suck, but they were there and they were paid. So that is better than the Americas. Um, 
Margaret suffered from nosebleeds, and an apothecary, William Fuller, provided a bloodstone or heliotrope as a remedy. He would also spend her, send her medicinal spices. I don't know. Um, Margaret went on pilgrimages to White Kirk in East Lothian, and in July 1507, after she recovered from a period of ill health, she went to Whithorn in Galloway. I guess fun. The king named the Scottish warship Margaret after her. But um, the Treaty of 1502, <laughs> far from being perpetual, barely survived the death of Henry VII in 1509. His successor, the young Henry VIII, had little time for his father's cautious diplomacy and was soon heading towards a war with France, who was Scotland's historic ally. Not fun. Henry, why did you have to do that, you loser? Um, Henry's, like, really obsessed with winning on the battlefield because he thinks that that's going to make him go down in history as, like, a strong warrior king. So we're going to notice that if you research him, he tries to go to war a lot, and he's actually not the best at it. It doesn't work very often. Um, yeah. So, and also he's remembered for the women in his life, not for his battlefield. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Henry VIII, six wives. Elizabeth I is his daughter. Um, oh, maybe you know that he split from the church, but that is literally, you know that he split from the church to get away from Catherine of Aragon and to have Anne Boleyn, so... R.I.P. to Henry's uh, good reputation. He did have one when he was alive. They all loved him. Maybe not the people that he murdered, but everyone else. Um, In 1513, James invaded England to honor his commitment to the Old Alliance. So, yeah. That's really nice, James. Thanks a lot. So nice. The Old Alliance is what they call the alliance between Scotland and France because it's like old... And it's not spelled O-L-D, it's spelled A-U-L-D, because they're really fancy. They got that alliteration. Um, but unfortunately for James, he only met death and disaster at the Battle of Flodden. The Battle of Flodden is Catherine of Aragon's time to shine, and you should go look it up, because I don't have time to talk about it, but she did a really good job, and she's really cool, and we love her um, sometimes. <laughs> Margaret opposed the war, because, you know, it's her husband fighting her brother, and her sister-in-law she was like could you not um she didn't want either of them to do it she was like mad about it um but she was still named in the royal will as regent for the infant king james v for as long as she remained a widow so they're like as long as you don't get remarried you can be the regent for your baby son she's like cool chill but she's she's not smart sometimes parliament met at sterling not long after flodden and they confirmed margaret in the office of regent um, a woman was rarely welcome in a position of supreme power. What? Shocker. <laughs> Men don't like women in power? <gasps> Who could have guessed? Didn't know that. Um, but And Margaret was also the sister of an enemy king, which didn't serve to, uh, you know, give her a better reputation. <laughs> um, before long, a pro-French party took shape among the nobility, and they wanted her to be replaced by John Stuart, the second Duke of Albany, who was the closest male relative to the infant prince and was now actually third in line to the throne. But, you know, (laughs) her son, Alexander, or whatever, is going to die soon, so then he'd be second in line to the throne. Albany, who was born and raised in France, was seen as a living representative of the old alliance in contrast with the pro-English Margaret. But, you know, Margaret actually is considered to have done a pretty good job with some degree of political skill. By July 1514, she had managed to reconcile the contending parties, and Scotland and France concluded peace with England that same month. 
but unfortunately she didn't uh she allowed her good sense to be taken over by emotion and the personal magnetism of archibald douglas the sixth earl of angus in seeking allies margaret turned more and more to the powerful house of douglas she found herself particularly attracted to the earl of angus who even his uncle gavin douglas called a young witless fool he's not great margaret and douglas were secretly married in the parish church of kinnell near perth on august 6 1514 not only did this alienate the other noble houses but it immediately strengthened the pro-french faction on the council because by the terms of the late king's will she had sacrificed her position as regent of scotland yeah so she's not regent anymore because she got married which is like a trash thing but it is kind of fair because, you know, back then women had to submit to their husbands. So if she married, then evidently she wouldn't be able like, it makes sense if you think about it in the framework of the time. Just like how people didn't want um, Philip of Spain to marry Mary Tudor because then they're like, he's just going to rule our country and that'll just make us Spanish. Yeah. Um, but before the month was out, Margaret had to consent to the appointment of Albany, the Duke of Albany, as the new regent. And then the Privy Council was even more trash. In September, they decided that she had also forfeited her rights to the supervision of both of her sons. They're like, you can't have them anymore. Like, what the hell? <laughs> um, but in defiance to that, she and her allies took the princess to Stirling Castle. <sighs> she like, I, I just... No, it's so annoying. In November, Margaret devised a code for letters that she would send to Henry VIII, and she said that all those signed by your loving sister, Margaret R., would be genuine, and others might be the result of coercion by her enemies. They had a little code. Mm. Um, Albany arrived in Scotland in May 1515, and he was finally installed as regent in July. His first task was to get custody of James and Alexander, the sons, who were politically essential for the authority of the regency because, like, they needed them there to be, like, we're acting in their interests <laughs> if they're not there. Yes. It's a little weird. Um, I mean, they are, like, really little. But Margaret, after some initial defiance, did actually surrender at Stirling in August, and so she had to give the princes over to their uncle. But she was now expecting a child by Angus. The... <laughs> Angus Douglas. It's just, oh, bestie, what is you doing? For some time, um, Henry had been urging her to flee to England with her sons, but she had steadily refused to do so because she was afraid that doing that might lead to James's loss of the Scottish crown, which is fair, it probably would have. Um, however, once Margaret's two sons were in the custody of their uncle, she secretly accepted her brother's offer for her personal safety at the English court. Because she was pregnant with Angus's child, she was afraid for her life under the rule of the Privy Council of Scotland. As Queen Dowager, she actually had to beg permission from the Privy Council to even travel. Okay. A little weird. Yeah. But, yeah, she had to be like, yeah, can I, like, go on a trip? And then be like, no. But she did obtain permission to go to Linlithgow Palace for her lion-in. She then escaped to Tantalon Castle and then um, crossed the border to England. She did leave um, valuable costume and jewels behind a tantalon, including several velvet hoods embroidered with pearls and a silk hat with a diamond jewel that had actually been a present from Louis Twelfth of France, like her sister's husband. <laughs> Weird. Um, but yeah, so that's fun. Margaret was received by Thomas Dacre, Henry's Warden of the Marches, and taken to Harbottle Castle in Northumberland. 
Here in early October, she gave birth to Lady Margaret Douglas, the future Countess of Lennox and mother of Henry Stuart Lauren Darnley, who is the cousin and second husband to Mary Queen of Scots and father of the future James VI. So Margaret Douglas is actually like pretty cool. And she's like, I read a book about her. You should, everyone should read it. It's by like Alison Weir, I think. You should search it up and find it. She's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, she like did this. I just, I like her. She's fun. She was, like, in the houses of, like, all of Henry's wives, pretty much. Like, she was, like, a lady-in-waiting to, like, all of them. Almost. I don't think she's a lady-in-waiting to Catherine and Anne, but she, like, did spend time in their households. And she didn't ever seem to, like, she didn't do anything, like, openly against Anne. Like, she just kind of, like, chilled. (laughs) Um, while she was still in the north of England, Queen Margaret learned of the death of her younger son, Alexander, unfortunately. R.I.P. Alexander, taken very, very much too soon since you were like a year old. Um, Dacre hinted that Albany um, was responsible. Margaret, even in her vulnerable state, though, refused to accept this because she said that if he had really aimed at securing the throne for himself, the death of James would have suited his purpose better. It was also at this time that she at last began to actually, like, figure out her husband, who now, thinking about his own welfare, had returned to Scotland to make peace with the regent, leaving behind his newborn daughter and his wife. Yeah. When Henry VIII learned that Angus would not be accompanying Margaret to London, he said, and I quote, done like a Scot. He doesn't like the Scottish people. In case you didn't get that since he fought them um however all of angus's power wealth and influence was in scotland so to abandon the country would mean possibly forfeiting all of that um in this regard he would have had before him the example of his kinsman james douglas the ninth earl of douglas who had fled to england the previous century to live out his life really poor so <laughs> i don't know he's still kind of yucky though i don't like him Margaret was well-received by Henry, and to confirm her status, she was lodged in Scotland Yard, which was the ancient London residence of Scottish kings. In 1517, she had spent a year in England, and she returned north after a treaty of reconciliation had been worked out by Albany, Henry, and Cardinal Wolsey. Here's the thing. Um, Margaret and Catherine of Aragon kind of, like, chilled, because, you know, they were friends, they knew each other. And Mary Tudor and Margaret Douglas were, like, babies at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure that they were, like, friends. Like, <laughs> they spent time together. The little babies. It's like a jamboree class, but, like, in <laughs> Tudor England with just them. Um, speaking of babies, Jordan went past my front window yesterday in um, a baseball cap and these giant white sunglasses and her little wagon is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Aww. I just want to go squish her little face. That's so cute. Oh Shout God. out to Jordan. We love you. We love you. Um, Albany was temporarily absent in France. Um, he was renewing the old alliance and arranging for the future marriage of James. But the Queen Dowager was received at the border by Sieur de la Bastie, his deputy, as well as by her husband. Although Margaret and Angus were temporarily reconciled, it wasn't long before their relationship entered a phase of decline. She discovered that while she was in England, her husband had been living with Lady Jane Stewart, a former lover. Mm. That's not really good. And that was bad enough, but what was even worse was that he had been living on his wife's money. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Not good, my, my friend. No. <laughs> no. 
In October 1518, she wrote to Henry hinting that she wanted to get a divorce. This was a difficult issue for Henry because he was opposed to divorce on principle, which was highly <laughs> ironic considering his later marital career. Yeah. Margaret, you can't get a divorce, Margaret. It's so bad. You're going to like, you're going to go to hell, Margaret. What the heck, Margaret? You can't get a divorce. And then <laughs> 10 years later, she's like, hmm, what was that, Henry? What were you saying? Can you repeat it a little louder? I didn't hear you that time. Um, <laughs> just as important, Angus was also a useful ally and an effective counterweight to Albany and the pro-French faction. Angered by Henry's attitude, Margaret drew closer to the Albany faction and joined others in calling for his return from France. Albany, who seemingly wasn't in any hurry to come back to Scotland, suggested that Margaret resume the regency herself. Bestie, you took it from her. Bestie, no. Um, the dispute between Douglas and Margaret was set to dominate Scottish politics for the next three years. Um, complicated even more by a bitter feud between Angus and James Hamilton, the first Earl of Arran, and Margaret would just, like, side with one and then the other, just, like, randomly. Um, yeah. Albany finally came back to Scotland in November 1521 and was warmly received by Margaret. It was soon rumored that their relations embraced more than politics. If you know what I mean. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Angus went into exile while the regent, with full cooperation of the Queen Dowager, set about restoring order to a country that had been for three years torn apart by intense factional conflict. The thing with Scotland, whenever I read about it, Scotland has, like, all these, like, noble houses, and they fight a lot, like, constantly. Like, yeah, they're not, they're not fun. Um, Albany was useful to Margaret because he was known to have influence in Rome, which would help ease her application for a divorce. Fun. Um, Angus and his allies spread the rumor that the two of them were lovers to such effect that even Lord Dacre, who was normally, like, pretty calm, wrote to Wolsey predicting that James, like, the baby king, would be murdered and Albany would become king and marry Margaret. But their relationship between the two was never more than any of, like, they were just used to each other for (laughs) self-interest. They didn't sleep together. In most essentials, Margaret was still an English woman in attitude and outlook, um, and she wanted a better understanding between the land of her birth and her new home. Just, uh, it's so blah. But once Albany was off the scene, she set about organizing a party of her own. In 1524, the region Albany was finally removed from power in a coup. coup. They got rid of him. Bye. <laughs> with Albany once more in France, where he died in 1536, Margaret, with the help of Aaron and the Hamiltons, brought James, now 12 years old, from Stirling to Edinburgh. It was a bold and popular move. In August, Parliament declared the regency was at an end, he's 12, um, and James was elevated to full kingly powers. <laughs> in practice, he would continue to be governed by others and his mother above all. When beaten, ejected to the new arrangements, Margaret had him arrested and thrown into jail. Fun. In November... Parliament formally recognized Margaret as the chief counselor to the king. So, I mean, good job, Margaret. Um, Margaret's alliance inevitably alienated other noble houses. Her situation wasn't eased when her brother, Henry VIII, allowed Angus, her husband, to return to Scotland. Both of those factors were some degree beyond her control. The most damaging move that she took, however, was not. She formed a new attachment, this time to Henry Stuart, a younger brother of Lord Avondale. 
Stuart was promoted to senior office, angering the Earl of Lennox, among others, who promptly entered into an alliance with her estranged husband. That same November, when Parliament confirmed Margaret's political office, her war with Angus descended into a murderous uh, whole thing. You know, they're trying to kill each other, low-key. Um, when he arrived in Edinburgh with a large group of armed men claiming his right to attend Parliament, she ordered cannons to be fired on him from both the castle and Holyrood House. Oh. Yeah, that's her daughter's father and her husband still, even if she doesn't like him. Maybe we shouldn't shoot cannons at him, Margaret. <laughs> Um, when the two ambassadors present at court that were from England, Thomas Magnus and Roger Radcliffe, objected that she shouldn't attack her husband, she responded in anger, telling them to go home and not meddle with Scottish matters. <laughs> I just, I don't. All of the Tudors have a lot of temper. Um, Angus withdrew for, for the time being, but under pressure from various sources, the Queen finally did admit him to the Council of Regency in February 1525. But it was all the leverage that he needed. Taking custody of James, he refused to give him up, and he exercised full power on his behalf for a period of three years. James's experience during this time left him with the hatred of both the House of Douglas and the English. Rip. Um, Margaret attempted to resist, but she was forced to bend. Um, and besides, by this time, her desire for divorce had become obsessive, taking precedence over all other matters. Um, in March 1527, Pope Clement XII granted her petition. I love that she uh, was allowed a divorce, but Henry wasn't. And it was literally at, like, the exact same time. <laughs> like, okay. Um, because of the political situation in Europe at the time, it wasn't until December that she learned that she had been divorced. So, you know, nine months later. Um, she married Henry Stewart on March 3rd, 1528. Ignoring the warnings of Cardinal Wolsey that marriage was divinely ordained and his protest against the shameless sentence sent from Rome. Once again, Cardinal Wolsey is currently trying to get a divorce for Henry. Yeah. Pot, kettle, black. Um, in June 28th, James V finally freed himself from Angus and began to rule in his own right. Margaret was an early beneficiary of James. Um, she and her husband emerged as leading advisors to the king. James created Henry Stuart Lord Methven for the great love that he bore to his dearest mother. It was rumored, falsely, that the queen favored a marriage between her son and her niece Mary, Mary Tudor, but she was instrumental in bringing about the Anglo-Scottish Peace Agreement of May 1534. Good job. Um, the central aim of Margaret's like, political life um, was to bring about a better understanding between England and Scotland, a position that she did held, held to. She did a good job. Um, James was suspicious of Henry, especially because Henry continued to support Angus, who James hated. Even so, in early 1536, his mother did persuade him to meet with her brother. Um, it was her moment of triumph, and she wrote to Henry and Thomas Cromwell, saying it was by advice of her and no other living person. She was looking for a grand occasion, kind of like the Field of the Cloth of Gold, and spent a lot of money in preparation. In the end, it didn't come to anything because there were too many voices that were like no let's not do it and because james wouldn't be managed by his mother he was like i'm not gonna do it mom um in a private interview with the english ambassador william howard she confessed that she was weary of scotland um and her weariness even sometimes extended to betraying state secrets to henry 
Bessie, what is we doing? Um, weary of Scotland, she might have been, but she was now even more tired of Lord Methven, her husband, who is proving herself to be even himself to be even worse than Angus in his desire for both other women and for his wife's money. She was once again eager for divorce, but proceedings were frustrated by James, who like wouldn't let her do it, and she believed that her husband had bribed him. I don't know. Maybe he did, but <laughs> that was not she didn't know that for certain. Um as was so often in Margaret's life, tragedy and unhappiness were closely pursued by intrigue and farce. At one point, she ran away towards the border, trying to get to England, only to be intercepted and brought back to Edinburgh. Time and time again, she wrote to Henry with complaints about her poverty and appeals for money and protection because she wanted ease and comfort instead of having to follow her son around like a poor gentlewoman. Henry was actually nice. He, um, in the first months of 1536, so he's still married to Anne at this time, um, Henry sent her 200 pounds and a parcel of luxury fabrics. The fabric was for clothes to wel- wear to welcome her son's bride, Madeleine of Valois, but she died, <laughs> like, really fast. Oh. Rip. Um, Margaret then welcomed Mary of Guise, James's second French bride, to Scotland in June 1538. If we remember, Henry VIII wanted to marry Mary of Guise. Hmm. But that didn't happen. Um, because she married James in 1538. These two women, um, among the most formidable in Scottish history, established a good understanding. Mary made sure that her mother-in-law, who had now been reconciled with Methven, made regular appearances at court, and it was reported to Henry that they were, like, good friends. I mean, that's a good thing, to be friends with your mother-in-law and your daughter-in-law. Yeah. Unless they suck, then don't feel bad about it. Um, Margaret died at Methven Castle on October 18th, 1541. Um, Henry Ray, the Berwick Persuivant, um, reported that she had palsy, possibly resulting from a stroke on Friday, and died on the following Tuesday. As she thought that she would recover, she didn't actually make a will. Um, she sent for King James, but he didn't get there in time. Um, that kind of sucks. Um, near the end, she wished that the friars who attended her would seek the reconciliation of the king and the Earl of Angus, like, I think her king, <laughs> not Henry. She hoped that the king would give her possessions to her daughter, Lady Margaret Douglas. James arrived after her death, and he ordered Oliver Sinclair and John Tennant to back- pack up her belongings for his use. James, that was not what was asked, buddy. <laughs> um, she was buried at the Carthusian Charter House in Perth, which was demolished during the Reformation in 1559. Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, and its site was now occupied by the former King James VI Hospital. So, uh, yeah, she died. But I guess you could probably go to her grave somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> so that would be the end, everybody. Thank you for learning with us. Rude. What the heck? Here. There we are. Okay. We're good. I'm so tired. Um, you should go follow us on Instagram at not so bloody Mary underscore podcast. You should go follow us on TikTok at the exact same same username. It is the same. You should go follow us on Twitter at bloody underscore not. Um, yeah, I don't post on there. But <laughs> if people follow, I promise that I will. I just don't want to post for just Katie. It makes me scared. <laughs> like, I'm like, what if she sees it? <laughs> no one else sees it. That's awkward. Um, you should leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because we know that you all are listening on there. We see the analytics. Some of you are from there. 
Um, and you should just write us if you don't want to write us a review. You can send us a voicemail at anchor.fm slash not so bloody Mary. Like, or just go on like the anchor website and search us up, I think. Um, that would be fun. And so- that's like it. Those are all of our places. And you can follow Grace on TikTok at the lovely underscore bookworm. Mm-hmm. Don't follow me on TikTok because if you follow our podcast TikTok, that's my face. So yeah, it's good. Um, yeah. I don't know. Grace, what are they going to do today? Today, I always say go outside when it's nice weather because I like going outside when it's nice weather. Yeah. Be careful. Be safe. I just go outside if it's nice out, you know, because you can't get enough of that. Being outside is really nice. And you can't go anywhere else if you're in Ontario, so. Yeah, so just like sit outside stare at the sun. I mean, you Actually, can go on a walk. Do you can go on a walk. Don't stare at the sun, though. That's a bad idea. Walks are good. Oh, my school's emailing me. <laughs> I don't have any textbooks for you. Sorry. Um, yeah. So do that. We love all of you. Very much. We you, appreciate you. You're awesome. And, um, yeah. Just keep... Keep going on. Y'all keep are on keeping on. Y'all are rock stars and we love you very much. And um yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.